Hey, have you heard about our all-new free PDF that you can download? It's called Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. And if you're a couple that has done the date nights and attended the relationship retreats and learned the communication skills, read the latest books on marriage, but you still find yourself stuck in a loop of pain and frustration, then this PDF is for you. If one moment everything is fine and the next moment everything feels crazy and that is familiar, I encourage you to go to restoringthesoul.com, scroll down, fill in your email, and get the free copy of our all-new PDF, Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. You're going to find it very helpful. Most people feel like they read this and they wonder if we've been reading their mail. They say, this is us. It's going to be of help. Check it out now at restoringthesoul.com. Men, you were created to initiate and pursue. You're created to move into chaos, create order. You need to move towards your wife in ways that absolutely terrify you and unnerve you. If you don't, you'll never know the true intimacy that your heart and your soul were made for. You're craving it. You just might be looking in the wrong place for it. You were made for more, men. Stop settling. You're listening to Restoring the Soul with Michael John Cusick. Welcome to the program. I'm Michael John Cusick. Today's episode, number 17, is a very special program since you'll be listening to a message from my bride of 25 years, Julianne Cusick. Her talk, Devastated But Not Destroyed, is a message she gave in 2004, where for the very first time she shared her story of heartbreak, hope, and healing from my sexual betrayal and sexual addiction that was exposed in 1994. My, how far we've come together as a couple, and uh, what a powerful story this is. It goes without saying that giving this talk took a tremendous amount of courage and strength. It was the very first time she had shared her story in this kind of a public setting. And as you will hear, she delivered the message with amazing grace and dignity. I personally will be forever grateful for the enormous kindness and love that she gave to me and continues to show to me. In addition to being my bride, Julianne is a registered psychotherapist and adjunct counselor with Restoring the Soul, where her passion is to fight for the hearts of women silenced by shame and fear related to their husband's sexual brokenness. She holds a bachelor's degree from St. Leo University, and she's currently a candidate for a master's in marriage and family therapy. She's a dynamic and engaging communicator. She speaks to Christian organizations, women's groups, and retreats, all from the voice of hope of her own story of healing and redemption. Julianne is the mother of two active teenagers and enjoys gardening, the outdoors, and spending time with friends. So with no further delay, let's listen to this powerful message from Julianne Cusick, Devastated But Not Destroyed. Nine years ago, on July 10th, 1994, my husband totally devastated my world. He came home one night from work 
after he had called to say he had to work late. I questioned him about it and accidentally caught him in a lie. Little did I know I was about to unravel a secret that would change me forever. I'd like to give you a snapshot of what life was like for me then. Mike and I had been married three years. I wasn't working at the time, and we didn't have any children. I had actually recently quit my job to um, go to school full-time. And for other reasons, I ended up not going. But ironically, almost to the day that I would have started my master's program, my husband told me about his sexual acting out with pornography and prostitutes. No wonder I wasn't in school. God had a master's program for me, all of his own. I was glad I wasn't in school because I would have had to have dropped out. I was so devastated. And the shame of all of those people knowing and wondering. I was really glad that God saved me from that. But day after day, for weeks, my husband would tell me more and more of what he had done and how he had lied to me and how he had been living a secret life. He would tell me of the places and the people he had been with. I was reeling from all this and constantly felt sick in my stomach. I could barely believe this was actually happening to me. Every night I would fall asleep behind the locked door of our bedroom and listen to my husband wailing on the living room floor. Every morning I would wake up and reality would wash over me like a wave of nausea. I would realize this was really happening. It wasn't a bad dream. I was actually living a nightmare. One of my worst fears had come true. My husband had not only been lying to me for two years, but he had broken our marriage vows. He had betrayed me like no other had done. I felt like I'd been hit by a Mack truck, like I was lying in a hospital bed in the ICU unit in critical condition. I didn't cook. I didn't eat. I didn't talk. And when I did talk, I was like a volcano erupting rage all over Mike. I would verbally attack him and rip him to shreds in my anger and in my pain. I would pound my fists on his chest as red hot tears ran down my face and scream, how could you do this to me? How could you do this to me? It was a death, the death of my marriage and the death of a lot of dreams. I remember thinking, great, I've been married three years and I'm going to be divorced. I'll never have any children now. My dreams of having a home and a family together 
all went down the drain. I wanted to leave him in the worst way. Just run away and start over. God wouldn't let me. I knew in my heart that if I left Mike, I would be turning my back on God. And that was one thing I wouldn't do. I wouldn't give Mike the satisfaction of my turning my back on God. Even if it meant living with this man. But I didn't love him. And I didn't know if I ever would. I was also pretty ticked off with God. This is the man you've chosen for me? And you won't even let me leave him? I'm stuck here? It seemed to me to be a cruel joke. And why did it seem that the enemy had all the goods on sex, but God didn't? Why was sex easy as a non-Christian, but once I became a Christian and got married, how was it so hard? I was plagued with memories of previous immoral relationships. I longed for that kind of passion. And what I got was a Christian man who cheated on me. I wanted to get on a plane and go to the Bahamas. I wanted to lay in the sun and drink daiquiris. And I wanted to have sex with every guy that walked by. Thankfully, by God's grace, I didn't do any of those things. I stayed. Slowly and surely, I came back to life. And slowly but surely, my husband won me. And I'm so glad he did. Ours is a story of addiction and betrayal. It is also a story of redemption. Remember, death on Friday, resurrection on Sunday. It was a long Friday. But Sunday has come. I may have lost my dreams, but I'm living a miracle. God has done a great work, and I can honestly say that I am so blessed that I get to be married to this man. It's taken me years to feel that way about him. There is hope. It is not easy. It hurts. It's going to cost you something. It cost me something. It will cost us losing our life in order to find it. It's the way of the cross. This is a story of losing a life for Christ's sake. And he has been faithful to bring new life and a new marriage. He's even brought a new home and a new baby. But he has been faithful. Before I go on, I'd like to take a moment and just pray. Lord, as I continue to share what you've done and what you've taught me, may you be pleased with the words I speak. 
I give myself fully and completely to you. And I ask that you minister to those here who are hurting. Minister to them in the ways that only you can bring healing and freedom that is possible only in you. Glorify yourself, Lord, because it's all about you. It's in your precious and holy name, Jesus, that I pray. My hope tonight as I share is really twofold. The first is to give God the glory for what he has done. And the second is to offer hope to the many suffering wives and to their husbands who are caught up in sexual sin and sexual addiction. As I've reflected on my journey over the last nine years, um, there are three stages that Mike and I have gone through. And each relates to a number of issues and a number of stages that I think each couple goes through when they're dealing with a situation like this. The stages, as I've called them, are revelation, repentance, and restoration. You don't have to take notes, but for those of you who are note takers, revelation, repentance, and restoration. Now, revelation, I choose that word very carefully, and I use it intentionally uh, instead of the word disclosure, because to me, revelation is more than just the disclosure of facts. It's truth laid bare. That is essential. But it's more than that. It's, it's the revealing of truth. It's the, the exposing of truth, not only facts, but the truth about our hearts, about our sin, about our wounds about who we are. Many men wonder, how much do I share? And many women ask, how much do I really need to know? I'm a firm believer in complete disclosure. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I mean being specific about each activity and event without being graphic. So complete disclosure being specific, but not graphic. My first reason for this is based on Scripture. Ephesians 5, 11 through 14, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed to the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. Everything exposed to the light becomes light. If we leave anything in the darkness, then we leave ourselves open to a spiritual stronghold. I heard it illustrated this way. That whether a bird is tied by a chain or by a thread, it is still captive. I believe the same is true with sin, especially sexual sin. I remember after hearing this illustration, I was in California with some folks from church. We're at a conference, training conference. And I went outside to take in the beauty of where I was. We overlooked a beautiful lake and there were ducks swimming and beautiful trees kind of arching over. There was even like a bridge with a gazebo. And so I sat there just taking in 
the sun and the beauty. And I saw something hanging like in midair. And I thought, what is that? And so I looked, and to my horror, I realized it was a dead duck, a black duck hanging from its ankle. And as I moved and I looked, I could see the sun hit like the the thread, the fishing wire that hung this bird. And I sat there after just hearing this illustration, looking at it manifested right before my eyes, and I could see that bird in my mind's eye trying to fly away again and again and again and being hungry and being thirsty and being above the water but not being able to get to it and being frantic and being tired and exhausted and then finally dying and collapsing and hanging by a thread. When it comes to the disclosure of sin in our lives and in our hearts, we're talking about a matter of life and death. I cannot stress to you enough the importance of being totally and completely honest with your spouse. And that leads me to my second point. My second reason for believing in complete disclosure is this. A question. How can a wife ever truly trust her husband again if she never knows the full truth? Any trust she has will be built on a lie. And that's not real trust. Husbands, if you want your wives to trust you again, you must come completely clean, no matter what the cost You have got to tell her everything. It is the only way she will ever fully trust you again. Mike did this with me. Was it easy? No. It was brutal. But it was worth it. And you know why? Because I know everything. There's nothing hidden Nobody's going to come out of the woodwork someday and tell us some deep, dark secret that I don't know about. I know it all. And he continues to tell me everything. He's a man. This world is full of pornographic images. The enemy is always wanting to capture us in lust and sin and any kind of snare that he can. He's not beyond reproach. That's one of the reasons I trust him, is he knows he's fallible. I can trust that. I can trust a man who says to me, it's not beyond me to commit a sexual sin. Not beyond me. Philip Yancey in last month's Christianity Today, the October issue, he's got a five-page article in there on holy sex. And in there, he says that he himself, whether it's a naked woman in an art museum or something over the internet, that he has fallen prey to that. And what a, what a godly man. And if he can be honest about that and print that in Christianity today, then I don't think there's anyone who can say, that's beyond me. It's certainly not 
beyond me. My sin's just different. It looks different. So he continues to tell me everything. If he goes to a restaurant and a waitress flirts with him or she's got one of those low-cut things on and leans over and if he has a flash or a lustful image comes in his mind or uh, you know, he, a woman is inappropriately dressed, he'll come home and he'll, he'll tell me. And is that easy? No. But guess what? You know, we get to pray about that together. We get to put that under the blood of Christ. We get to stand against that as a couple, and there's nothing hidden in the darkness. Again, it's in the light. And when it's brought into the light, it diffuses that power that the enemy wants to have over us. My husband also is in full-time ministry, and that is part of the reason that he has chose the level of accountability that he has, and I respect him for it. He also has some men in his life. They meet, and they confess to one another, they pray together, they battle for one another. And what's really nice is I never talk to those men about what they know and what I know. But you know what's really nice is that I know they know everything and they know I know everything. And that's really important. It's very clean. There's nothing hidden. It's all in the light. Now when it comes to the actual process of disclosure... It can happen in one of two ways as far as my experience goes and the women I've talked with. One is a flood. It's as if a a dam breaks and it just comes gushing out. And initially, I think that's really what it was like with Mike and I those first few weeks. didn't happen all in the same day. I mean, it took time, but it just kind of gushed out. It was just everywhere. And then... It kind of became more like spurts, like a little geyser would come up here and another one come up over there and one would pop up over here. And I've heard my husband describe it as a man trying to keep all of these beach balls underwater and then one pops and it kind of throws you off and then you trying to keep the other ones down and another one pops up and before you know it, three or four more pop up. And when you think about it, you know, the Bible talks about having a divided heart. And when you think about living a, a, a double life, a divided life, you, ha- you have a divided heart. And so there are things that are repressed that you've wanted to keep secret and, and keep hidden. And so, of course, there's, a, there's a, a natural process. And, guys, it's not an excuse not to tell your wives the whole truth. But, ladies, it's a word to, to be patient um, with the process. You can't make it come out faster than, than, than the men are able to, uh, to let it come up. And this is a time for great prayer. Um, if the Lord leads you to fast, fast and pray. Pray for revelation. Pray for truth. Pray for the Holy Spirit to bring to light. The Holy Spirit is the revealer of all truth. So we want to call on the Holy Spirit as the revealer of all truth during this time. I want to ask that anything is hidden is brought to the light, that nothing is left uncovered. You have to be patient with this process. And again, the details. You may wonder about that. Be specific but not graphic. You have to name the activity. If you were with a prostitute, you need to say, I was with a prostitute. If she was in your car or you were in a hotel room, you need to to disclose that. You don't need to describe what she looked like or what she was wearing. or I mean, don't don't get into that stuff. You don't want more images in your mind than your wife is already going to have. But you've got to be specific, name the activity, what it was that you did. Sometimes wives are going to want details and they're going to pick at you. 
And it's because they're just devastated and, and their whole world has fallen apart and they're just grasping at something to kind of hang on to. Again, specific, not graphic. I remember um, vividly when Mike would come home and he would say to me, Honey, there's something I need to tell you. And the blood would just drain out of his face and I immediately would feel sick to my stomach and need to sit down. And um, even to this day, you know, like he'll come home and say, oh, honey, I've got something to tell you. And it's like something great happened at work, you know. And I'm like, oh, no, what? You know, it's like, oh, I got a raise today. I'm like, oh, that's great. Just excuse me while I recover. I knew this was going to come in handy. Um, But I still have that that visceral response, and that doesn't go away. This is nine years later. Um, You know, my husband recently went on a on a trip to China for 16 days. You know, I kind of started to have that little, you know, kind of cocky thought of, yeah, I completely trust him. No, I don't completely trust him. You know, he's in a third world country. You know, it's very dark. It's spiritually oppressed. You know, this is set up. We're going to be speaking publicly. We need to pray. And uh, sure enough, he came home. And uh, he told me about a situation, and he said, and when I saw where I was, and, and he described, you know, the, the scene to me, uh, he was like, I had to get out of there, and I had to get out of there fast. And I was like, yes! And uh, it was awesome. It was, it was a great opportunity. Um, you know, the Lord, the Lord, Scripture tells us that, that God does not tempt us, but we're, t- we're drawn away by our, our own evil desires. And that God will not test us beyond what we can bear. He doesn't tempt us, but he'll test us. And, and he'll provide a way out. So, man, there's always a way out. It's finding that way out. Figuring out what your triggers are. You had a fight with your wife, and suddenly you want to binge. You want to eat. You want to release. You've got to know what those triggers are. The other thing that's very important is that as men and women of God, we have got to be honest, completely honest, and call addiction to pornography what it is. It is adultery. It is adultery. Those are not my words. They're Jesus' words in Matthew 5.28. But I tell you, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We have got to be honest about what we are dealing with here. We have got to be honest if we're going to be healed and we're going to be set free. Don't deceive yourself. It's everywhere. Janelle quotes that there's 300,000 porn sites on the internet. How many hours a day, guys, are you on the internet? And yet we complain that we don't have 15 minutes to spend with the Lord? Many women ask me, what do I do with all these images? I can't get the picture of him doing this, X, Y, or Z, out of my mind. What do I do with it? I think the reason these images come up is twofold, for men and for women. One is, The enemy wants 
to attack. He wants to accuse. He wants to throw it back at you. He doesn't want you to forget as a wife. He doesn't want you as a man to forget. He wants to lure you back in. But the Lord is faithful. What is meant for evil, he uses for good. He doesn't want that crap in your head, in your heart. Our tendency when it comes up is to go, ooh, yuck, you know, push it down. Well, then we're just stuffing it. What we need to do is get it up and out. And I'm here to tell you that there's a place for this to go. And it's the cross. Jesus died and he took all of our sin and all of the sin done to us. We don't carry it around with us anymore. We put it on the cross. Give it to Jesus and then watch what he does. Lord, show me what you do with this image of my husband. Take it away from me and give me an image of my husband as you see him. Men, the same thing. Take this idolatry. Lord, I confess it is sin. Take this image away. Give me a picture, a restored vision for, for sexuality, for my sexuality, for, for the marital bed. Make it pure again, Lord. He can do that. When I talk about revelation, the revelation, the disclosure, there's one thing that I learned as I went through this nine years ago, and that's in a very important truth. And that is that my husband has the power to devastate me, but not destroy me. Again, my husband has the power to devastate me, but not destroy me. The next stage is repentance. And you hope that this is the next stage you go to because this is essential. If there's not true repentance, you're not going further. You're not going in the direction that you want to. I love the word repentance. It is so much more than just being sorry or saying sorry. Anyone can say, oh, yeah, so I watched, you know, a couple couple movies. Yeah, I was on, I was surfing the web, a little Baywatch here, a little whatever there. And, yeah, it's no big deal. Yeah, I, I did that. Sure, I've masturbated. Sure. That's, that's the facts. It's maybe telling the truth or part of the truth. It's maybe, oh, yeah, honey, I'm sorry about that. It won't happen again. Yeah, right. The thing about repentance is it involves a change in direction. You're going this way. You're trying to fill your own needs. You're you're bowing down to another god, a false god, Janelle taught, god of Baal, idol god of Baal. You're in this direction. I'm going to fill my own needs. I'm going to take care of myself. And repentance is, no, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go a totally different direction. So you can see repentance. You can see it. It shows. Shows in people's behavior, their countenance, their words, their actions, their choices. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and godly sorrow brings repentance. That leads to life. And it leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. I knew my husband was repentant because it was visible. When I laid in bed at night, I could hear him wailing on the living room floor. That was a small comfort to me in my pain. He was hurting. He let my pain hurt him. He let the wounds that he had inflicted affect his heart. 
It's an incredible gift that he gave me. The honest truth here is, ladies, there is nothing a wife can do to get her husband to be broken or repentant. It's not our job to convict them of their sin. It's the Holy Spirit's job. We need to get out of the way and turn our husbands over to Jesus. I promise you, he will do a much better job than we ever will. The key point here on repentance is there's nothing I can do to get my husband to be broken or repentant. Third and final stage, hopefully, is restoration. In order for there to be true restoration, there must be complete revelation and deep repentance. It is impossible any other way. This involves work on the wife's part as well as the husband's. Wives, I'll speak to you first. As I said, we can't get our husbands to be repentant. We can't even get them to tell us the whole truth. But we do play a key role in the restoration of our marriages. You know what that is? Forgiveness. We must let go of the pain goes to the cross. We must let go of the anger and the bitterness that we harbor in our hearts. We need to get rid of that pride that we wear as a badge of honor, that self-righteousness. I didn't break our marriage vows. You did. I've never said that, right? (laughs) All too many times. We've got to stop blaming them for ruining our marriage, ruining our life. We've got to let go. Our anger is not only a block to true intimacy, but it's a block to the feminine beauty that God wants to display in us. I know because I harbored a lot of anger and bitterness and rage and pride for a long time. Six years after he disclosed My husband was walking in freedom. He was ministering to other men. He was set free. I mean, he was more than uh, sober. He was free. He was delivered. But I was still tied to his sin because of my unforgiveness. I was locked in this angry hell of silence and shame. I'll never forget the day that this dear friend lovingly brought it to my attention. (laughs) <laughs> you know, being the godly woman that I was, I just received her rebuke and call to correction with warmth and immediately repented. <laughs> Not. <laughs> I mean, quite honestly, putting it mildly, I could have killed her with my bare hands. <laughs> Confront me on my anger. It's justified. He's the one who did this. I tried, I really tried to write it off. What does she know? What does she know? The Holy Spirit wouldn't let me. It was a direct hit right to my heart. He started to convict me. He started exposing my anger and my self-righteousness for what it really was. Sin. I started to confess. I started to repent. And I started to get free. 
That's the only reason I can stand before you today. I'm just as much a sinner as my husband. Probably worse because I was a Pharisee. I looked good on the outside, but was filled with anger and rage, bitterness and unforgiveness on the inside. Jesus addresses that too in Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean also. You know, nine years ago, I never thought I would ever speak publicly on this. But God has really lured me and started last fall when Mike and I spoke at Janelle's conference at Lookout. And what happened was after I shared with Mike, actually I sat and heard him do his testimony for the first time. This is actually the first time I'm sharing my testimony in full publicly. And women started coming out of the woodwork. And first it was this acquaintance, and she kind of, you know, wanted some couples mentoring, and okay, so we did that. And, you know, then the next month, or four, six weeks later, uh, another couple that I'd known for years came. Very horrible, painful situation. Um, And begged me, tears, sobbing, will you walk through this with me? How did you do this? Well, I went through it in isolation. And ladies, I don't recommend that. You've got to have a woman in your life that you're sharing this with. One person that you can be totally honest with. One person that you can call and say, I'm going to kill him. I'm really going to kill him. Who can talk you down and and calmly walk you through that. Who you can call at 2 a.m. going, I can't stop crying. You know, I'm, I'm so sick. I can't, I, I'm just, I can't make it through another day. You need to have a friend like that. Well... It was that friend in my life who then came to me a few months ago and said, I have something to tell you. And she couldn't even say it. She looked at me and she said, you know, because you, you went through it with Mike. I walked away from that interaction and I threw up my hands to God and I said, okay, you've got me. I'll go where you want. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll talk. I'll share can't let my best friend suffer in silence and shame and isolation. I asked God nine years ago not to waste any of the pain. He's been faithful already not to waste any of it. And this is just the beginning. What was meant for evil, God intends for good. Okay, men, now it's your part. You were hoping I'd run out of time, but... I'm not going to. (laughs) Your part is the relational, the relentless relational pursuit of your wife. I don't care what kind of flares or barbs she throws your way. Can't be any worse than what I did to this man right here. And he was relentless. He didn't go anywhere. He stayed. He pursued me. He won me. Men, you were created to initiate and pursue. You're created to move into chaos. Create order. 
You need to move towards your wife in ways that absolutely terrify you and unnerve you. If you don't, you'll never know the true intimacy that your heart and your soul were made for. You're craving it. You just might be looking in the wrong place for it. You were made for more, men. Stop settling. John Eldridge in Wild at Heart says that pornography is so addictive more than anything else, because more than anything else in a lost man's life, it makes him feel like a man without ever requiring him to be one. A man does not go to a woman to get his strength, but to offer his strength. You look at the anatomy, and the man gives life. He doesn't take it. He gives it. Pours out his life for his bride. Who does that sound like? Sounds like my Jesus. The problem is we try and find life on our own. For men who have a block to their heart, who've been in pornography, it's very hard for them to offer their heart, offer the the depths of their, their soul. They don't know how to do that. We relational women, you know, it's a little easier for us. But that disconnection between head and heart needs to be mended. That division needs to be made whole. Again, it comes through the disclosure, it comes through the repentance, comes through grieving wounds that our men have. A lot of men have objectified women. Obviously, the mere act of viewing pornography objectifies women. It treats them like an object, not a a full person with a mind, a heart, a soul. We're not just a picture. That's 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 a living human being created in the image of God. And Satan wants to desecrate that. But we reflect the image of God, the glory of God. A comment here briefly on frigidity in women. Many times that's looked at as a problem on the woman's part. And I'd like to suggest that really if a wife, if a woman is is experiencing frigidity um, in her marriage, that it really is a symptom of a greater issue. And I'd like to suggest that um, possibly it's the man's inability to share his heart, to release his heart and his passion in such a way as to elicit and arouse a response from the wife. Because remember, men initiate and pursue and women respond. And so if a woman isn't responding, we need to look at what is it there that she's responding to. Or sometimes her lack of response literally is a response to something that's not there, something that's missing. I heard it said once that intimacy is into me see. And it's true. It requires great vulnerability and sacrifice. Men, it's a brave willingness to be seen for who you are and to boldly pursue the other in all of her gore and her glory. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not by getting.
Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor, since they are already one in marriage. Instead of pursuing the false intimacy through acting out sexually and seeking to get his own needs met, my husband began to pursue me and develop true intimacy in our marriage. I have to confess, this was an unnerving time. I mean, he asked me questions and pursued me in a way that, that he hadn't since we were courting and he was trying to get me to marry him. So this intimacy, this pursuing of intimacy, it's a, it's a continual process and a deepening. It's a growing together and oneness. And both parties need to be involved and committed for there to be true restoration. The key point here for the women is that it's not just about his sin. It's about our sin too. And that true restoration is possible when we both meet at the cross. And by the way, let me say one more thing. The enemy does not have the goods on sex. He only wants us to think that he does. God has the goods on sex. After all, he's the one who created it. But he created it for more than just the sex act. He created us for intimacy with him and with each other. It's about knowing and being known. It's about security and vulnerability. It's about offering ourselves on behalf of the other. It's supposed to be a taste of heaven. And in my marriage, it is. I may have lost my dreams, but I'm living a miracle. You've been listening to another episode of Restoring the Soul. Learn more about how we cultivate freedom and wholeness of heart at RestoringTheSoul.com. 